Hello and welcome to the podcast. Uh, we're coming to you from our studio uh, at One London Wall Place and today uh, I have Phil Chandler here with me from the multi-asset team. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever it is you're listening. Thank you, Phil. Uh, I'm Keith Wade, as you know. Uh, and I'm going to be asking Phil about uh, how the multi-asset uh, team are positioning themselves and how they're coping with current markets. Um, I thought we'd kick off, though, Phil, just sort of a little bit of comment about the recent uh, uh, performance of markets. They seem to have been hit quite badly by Donald Trump's tweets. Uh, and then, of course, we've just had uh, some turmoil in the tech sector as a result of the regulatory uh, announcements yesterday. Do you want to make some comment on that? Of course. And in fact, can we take it back big picture just for a moment? Because as regular listeners will know, we have been more worried about the, the lack of growth in the global economy over the last uh, six or 12 months or so. And we have had a rebound after last year's poor growth, but it's been quite patchy. Um, and big picture, as you know, Keith, your team's cyclical models have moved to the slowdown phase, which tends to be the worst phase of the economic cycle for equities and other risk assets. And also the work which your team has done in terms of the top-down forecast for earnings, profitability for companies, and that's starting to look like it's going to come under pressure in the second half of this year. So we've had this concerning backdrop for some time. So we've had you know, the recent move in terms of tariffs, the tech sector woes. Uh, but there is this bigger picture backdrop, which is concerning. But at the same time, we've had some positive things. You know, markets have been buoyed so far this year by liquidity, by central banks either easing policy or saying that they won't tighten as much as previously thought. And that's been very positive for markets, and it's helped both equities and bonds at the same time. The question really is, you know, what happens next? Last month of the Global Asset Allocation Committee, uh, we became more cautious. We actually started to reduce our equity weights across portfolios, not significantly so, but we did start reducing equity weights, uh, and also maintaining that higher government bond duration exposure that we'd added earlier in the year as a hedge. And obviously, in hindsight, that, that worked rather well. Um, the question is, what happens now? For the moment, we are minded to maintain these sort of lower levels of equities. I think we might start to take some profits on some of those government bond duration positions, but really it's a case of waiting to see what happens next. And I think one of the critical things looking forward is, will the Federal Reserve in the US bow to market pressure and start to cut rates? Now, the market has moved a very long way recently, and I wonder whether that's you know, affected your views at all in terms of outlook for the US. Yeah, OK. Well, I can add something on that because it's something we're obviously thinking about pretty actively. And uh, if I may just, just uh, add our view in there, we just recently updated our forecasts, although unfortunately the update came out just before Donald Trump did his tweet about Mexico and announced the extra tariffs there, uh, which, of course, the markets have now reacted to very strongly. We, um, as you know, Phil, we, we have two rate cuts in for the Fed for 2020, and we've had that view for some time. We've always been making the case how the US economy is set to slow down and be quite weak in 2020 as a result of the fading of fiscal stimulus. So our forecast for the US didn't really change very much, and our, our rate view didn't change very much. However, uh, the latest news on, on Mexico is something that will drag on economic activity. If you look at some of the macro models like the Oxford economics model, for example, 
they say that growth could be as much as 0.7 percentage point weaker in 2020 now and that's a significant hit if you think about how low growth has been recently it's not as if we're coming down from a four percent growth pace absolutely and if we if we're only forecasting 1.5 and we take 0.7 off that we're left with you know just 0.8 which is really equivalent to a recession in the u.s so um, most of the comments from the Fed up to last week were suggesting they're pretty happy with interest rates, although it's interesting that subsequently now uh, Bullard, the uh, president of the St. Louis Fed, actually yesterday said that he thought that actually it would be time maybe for a rate cut. Uh, he didn't quite phrase it in that way, but he indicated that policy loosening would be appropriate in the near term. And that's the first time anybody's really hinted at that. I guess the the issue then for the Fed is, is the economic data really weak enough to justify that? The answer to that is probably not. But, you know, given the tariff increases, will the the economic data weaken enough? Well, certainly on a one-year view, you could say, yes, it probably would if you took those Oxford economics numbers. In the near term, though, we know that when tariffs get announced, often what you see is more trade than less because people bring it forward. So you could see some stronger activity. Having said that, though, when when you dig into what Oxford Economics are saying and others, a lot of the impact on the economy comes from the market effects, tightening financial conditions as a result of weaker markets. We're seeing a bit of that already. And the second one is from confidence effects. We already know that CapEx is very weak and that could get weaker. I think the difficulty for the Fed now is that they're going to be put in a bit of a spot where if they don't ease in the next couple of meetings, the markets could sell off and we get a rerun of what we saw in December. Uh, And then, you know, Powell is really going to be put on the spot. So, you know, my inclination is to think that that we could see some sort of easing in the next couple of months, possibly at the end of July when they have their their meeting. Because there is quite a lot of price from the Fed at the moment. If you look at, you know, market pricing from the close of business yesterday, the market was saying, well, somewhere between two and three rate cuts this year Mm. and another one or maybe a bit more than that next year as well. So by the end of next year, easing of over four rate cuts. Well, that's it. And that's really what's going to be putting the Fed on the spot because they know they would have to make a strong case against that. Now, one of the things that the Fed has talked about, of course, is that they think that the low inflation rate in the US is only transitory. So if the inflation rate was to begin to pick up, then that might give them a hook to say, no, hang on a minute, you're getting ahead of yourself. We're not going to move rates. But there's every possibility that inflation could remain quite low. And also, having said that, the Fed are about to go into a conference where they're going to be talking about the idea of allowing inflation to run run a bit higher, allow it to run over 2%. So, so you could say, well, so what if it's going to be going up to over 2%? That shouldn't stop the Fed from, from cutting interest rates. They want to get a bit more inflation through at this stage of the cycle before the economy really turns down and bring inflation down. So, you know, again, I think this is sort of pointing in the direction of some sort of easing of policy. And presumably it's the way that they do that, the language which they use, is going to matter for markets. So A, there's the timing of this. Do the Fed ease imminently or do they try and delay it by a couple of months to see whether the data improves as previously expected? Uh, but also how they talk about it. They talk about this in the sense of uh, you know, a, one, a one-off easing, a single cut just to sort things out, or is this going to be a series of rate cuts? You know, the language which they use I think will be very important for markets as to whether they can put a floor under equity prices in that scenario you're talking about where equities fell further and that forced the Fed to, to, to move. I mean, certainly from our side, as I said, having reduced equities, uh, we're running at these lower levels. 
not hugely lower, but you know we are meaningfully lower. Um, and I think that it's a case of we want to wait and see what happens here. We think that there is the potential for the market to move a little bit further. Uh, certainly when we, when we reduced weights last month, we had profit targets a little bit below where we are today. And I th- we want to just see how things start to shake out from here. Well, that ties in pretty well with what we know about the slowdown phase. And I mean, one of the the, the advantages of having the, the cyclical models that we have is that we do get a bit of historical perspective on how markets respond to rate cuts in different phases of the mm-hmm. cycle. And what we tend to find is that in the slowdown phase of the cycle, uh, equities and risk assets tend to underperform and interest rates do tend to come down, but the market tends to stand back a little bit and say, well, let's wait and see whether this has an effect on the economy. And very often at the early stages of a rate cutting cycle, the market gets into this phase where it talks about pushing on a string, where it says, well, actually, yes, we know that the central banks are easing, but it's not really having much effect on the economy and maybe things are different this time and so on. And so what we found is that actually you have to go through quite a bit of a slowdown before you get to the phase where you start to see the benefit of those rate cuts. And we call that phase the recession phase, which sounds even worse than the slowdown. But actually, in practice, markets tend to be forward looking. So they tend to do a bit better in that phase. In the slowdown phase, though, there's a lot of scepticism about what's going on. And I think it would be exactly the same this time. Of course, we've been through the global financial crisis and we know that the banks don't behave quite in the same way that they did before. So the transmission mechanism of monetary policy is under immense scrutiny at the moment. Uh, So if we do get into those rate cuts, it may well be that the market is quite sceptical about it. And so far, we've been talking mainly about the US. Uh, what about other markets? So, for example, we saw inflation today in Europe printing you know, rather disappointingly low. I think it was 1.2% on uh, the flash estimate for the headline. Any sort of views on sort of Europe, for example? Does the change in the, the, the yeah. sort of the more sort of dovish Fed have impacts around the world? Right. So, um, important to, to bring some comments in on that. We've just seen the uh, Australian Central Bank cut interest rates by 25 basis points. So they, you know, they're responding to the, the greater weakness in the, in the world economy. But I think this puts quite a bit of focus on, on Europe and the ECB are meeting later on this week. Um, the problem for them, of course, is that it's very difficult for them to cut rates any further. Um, and they have just finally sort of brought quantitative easing, uh, the asset purchase program, they brought that to an end. Um, although they are still reinvesting and their balance sheet hasn't begun to shrink yet. But I think it'd be very difficult for them to start uh, doing QE again. And I think this is a point that we've made several times before that in many ways the ECB is not very well positioned for a slowdown in the world economy at all. They probably should have begun raising rates about a year ago when they could have done, got interest rates up a bit before going into you know, what we see as a bit of a global slowdown. And I guess the other complication for Europe is just the change in ECB president coming up later this year. So if you think about it, a lot of what the ECB has been doing in recent years is using words to ease policy, talking in a dovish way. But that requires credibility. It requires markets to believe that the ECB will continue with that and follow through on it. Who knows who the next ECB president will be in whatever it's four months' time? So whatever Draghi says today, he can't bind his successor. Well, there is there is talk that uh, Weidmann from the Bundesbank becomes who successor. would be more hawkish, and Indeed. so therefore Dubish, Draghi could be dovish today. But will Weidmann follow that? Well, I think it's unlikely. He didn't like QE in the first place, so it would be quite a testing time, I think, for him. But the other um, European Central Bank, we we should just 
talk about is, of course, the Bank of England. Very keen to get interest rates up, a bit like the ECB, but in a, probably in a slightly better position as interest rates are already positive and slightly higher. Um, yesterday, we had the manufacturing PMIs. It's quite interesting that the UK one fell below 50, yeah. and the last time it was below 50, about three years ago, they cut interest rates. Now, there were a lot of other things going on at the same time, like the Brexit referendum and so on. But, um, you know, the UK economy is, is beginning to lose momentum. We have been making the point that the strength we've seen in the UK is only temporary. It's been boosted very much by inventory building, which has been extraordinarily strong ahead of what was supposed to be the date when we left the European Union uh, at the end of March. We didn't, but companies now have a lot of inventory that they don't need and they're beginning to clear it out. So, uh, you know, the Bank of England might actually be somewhere where we could see an interest rate cut. Well, the difficulty for the Bank of England, of course, is politics and trying to predict what will happen over the next three to six months in terms of do we leave the European Union, under what terms, is there for the delays? Uh, there's huge uncertainty for UK companies and for overseas orders to from UK manufacturing. It's a very difficult position the well, Bank of England finds itself in. It is. And I, I mean, I think um, it, it's probably just worth reiterating when I mean, we have made this point, but... You know, the most likely outcome in our view from the leadership election is that Boris Johnson will become the next prime minister. He's saying that he will leave the EU uh, without a, a deal if needs be. And we believe that would push the economy into recession. Um, there are all kinds of interesting political ramifications of that, not least that Parliament might put a vote of no confidence in the government as a result of that action. And then there's a question as to whether or not some of the Conservative members of Parliament, who are very keen on Remain, decide that they are going to vote against their own Prime Minister. And of course, that would then lead to a general election. So there's an awful lot uh, to, to play out over the next few months. But I see that Macron is still reiterating his view that October the 31st is a, is a hard deadline for the UK. And I think all, if you think about the things we've been talking about here, there's a lot of risks in the world economy at the moment in markets. And I think it really shows the importance of the scenario analysis which your team does. And how mm. we make a lot of use of, as you know, on the multi-asset side. With all these political... Um, uh, there's a lot of political noise, a lot of decisions that are very hard to forecast. From the multi-asset perspective, we try to avoid getting caught up in those day-to-day -day twists and turns and trying to position for you know, a tweet from uh, President Trump or you know, the latest move in the Conservative Party leadership race. And instead, really trying to focus on those fundamentals. I talked earlier about the cyclical model which you have, you know, thinking about big picture, sort of top-down profitability for companies, but then trying to find hedges where we see risks in the economy. So. So what sort of hedges do you have at the moment, given the kind of environment? You mentioned government bonds earlier. Exactly. And that was a big one, actually. So that's worked very well for us, adding duration to portfolios earlier this year. That's obviously worked as a very good hedge in terms of this slowdown risk. The question, of course, is you know, how far can those government bond markets move? And we said earlier that the in the US, the market's already discounting over four rate cuts by the end of next year. You've already got you know, the entire US Treasury curve is either at or below Fed funds rates today. Uh, so there's a limit to how far we can go, and that's why we've started to you know, take some chips off the table there and just take some profits on that duration position. We've had some currency positions. So, for example, portfolios have bought some yen. tends to be a very good uh, sort of diversifying currency, a risk-off currency. But it's a really case of assessing now what, what else we can put onto portfolios as a hedge. 
And in terms of taking risk, I mean, you said that you'd sort of scale back the equity bets. Where are you looking to take risk in the portfolio? Yes, and it's important. We, uh, so far, I think we've been talking, I, I don't know whether both of us got out of bed the wrong way or we slept badly. We've been very depressed and negative. Uh, clearly, there are some positives. Uh, we know that globally, um, there's a slight easing of fiscal policy this year. Tend to find yeah. that's a slight that's a support at the margin, um, but also as we said before, in terms of the liquidity which we're seeing from central banks and that sort of you know demand for yield, that therefore has given opportunities. We've owned uh, corporate debt in various different forms, uh, both investment grade and high yield debt this year, and that's something which we continue to hold. On the FX side, owning higher carry currencies, so taking carry from FX, so that carry side we still think is a good way of generating positive returns for clients over the medium term here. Okay, thank you, Phil. Um, so just to summarise then, the multi-asset team have been a little bit more defensive. They, they scale back on equities. They have been using uh, sovereign bonds as a hedge, but they've been looking to take risk through carry, um, and that seems to be where the opportunities are. We've discussed the outlook for interest rates and we've talked about how we think the likelihood of a Fed rate rise is probably rising even if the market is pushing the Fed perhaps in a direction it doesn't necessarily want to go in. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, this completes the podcast. <laughs>